Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. For more information, please call 234-803-481-0869 or for free audio downloads, kindly visit www.davidogaga.org. To continue what I study on the rainbow angel, that is the overall or the main thing we're dealing with, which is from the book of Revelation. For those of us who are watching for the first time, you may probably have to get back to the other previous messages and uh, this evening we continue with part four of coming with the clouds. Jesus coming with the clouds. But first of all, let's read uh, our main text, which is Revelation 10, verse number 1. That's the main text that we have. And it says, And I saw another mighty angel came down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was like the the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Now this is the main text that came forth. And when we read down to verse 2, verse 3, uh, we are told that this angel has one foot on the land, another one on the sea. And so the question was, what does that represent? This foot on the land and the sea, they're talking about people. And if they are people, are they different people? That's the main question. But we find that we cannot be able to interpret that to discuss who this angel is. I mean, uh, his feet standing on both sides without first of all finding out who this angel really is. And that's what I've led us to this discussion so far. And I will find again a revelation for and uh, this very particular um, angel uh, has the glory cloud not only on his head, but also on the throne. And so, these are the things we're looking at. So, we first of all have been dealing with the issue of the cloud. What is this cloud that is around the throne? What is this cloud that's upon the head of this mighty angel? And uh, we've been able to find again that uh, this angel, in the first place, the glory upon his head speaks about the very power and the glory of God in relation to God's move. When it comes to, for instance, uh, the tabernacle, the glory was there. When it comes to children of Israel moving and the wilderness, the glory was there. When we come to mighty 17, the glory was there. And again, we'll find that in Revelation, I mean, Acts chapter 1, verse number 9, there was a particular glory with which Jesus went into. I'm trying to recap this for some of us who are perhaps watching us for the first time. And then... Um, perhaps going to be following us. But we've been dealing with the issue of the glory cloud because we'll find again that in the, in the Acts chapter 1, it was one singular glory, uh, cloud as it were, but in Revelation 1 verse 7, we find that these clouds that is coming with. So if you left with one cloud, how is it that is coming with many clouds? This is what we're looking at. Praise the living God. Alright, so um, we want to continue tonight to look at further proofs of this cloud as being people. Uh, this cloud, like I said before, is not just a singular cloud anymore. 
it's not a plural cloud. And if it's that much, what is this cloud all about? And so that's what we're looking at. So we're looking at a further proof of cloud as a people. Um, there are several numerous passages like we've been able to see from scriptures that describes this uh, numerous clouds, several passages. But we want to look at something like Isaiah 60 verse number 8 today. Let's look at Isaiah 60 verse number 8 and see what we got there. Isaiah 60 verse 8. Uh, he said, Who are these? that fly as cloud and as a dove to what? To the windows. Who are these? Now, if you go back reading maybe verse 1, we'll be able to see something else. Let's go back to Isaiah. See, arise, shine for the light is come and the glory of the Lord is seen upon you. Now, this is talking about the church. This is talking about the church. Hallelujah. Okay, let's move down a little bit. Verse 2. And it says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the glory shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And then move on to verse 3. And it says, And the Gentiles shall come to the light, and the kings to the brightness of the rising. Verse 4. And it says, Lift up the eyes round about, and see all they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy sons shall come from afar, and thy daughters shall be nursed either side. Alright? Verse 5 says, Then thou shalt see and flow together, and the heart shall fear, and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, and the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Then the next verse, verse 6 says, The multitude of Carmen shall cover thee, the drum street of Midud and Ephraim, all they from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth. The praises of the Lord. And verse 7 says, All the flocks of Kedah shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Nebahot shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with their symptoms and my altar. And I will glorify the house of my glory. And I want you to get this. I will glorify the house of my glory. So what's the next thing? And it says, Who are these? That fly as dove and as, I mean, as cloud and as dove to the windows. Verse 9 says, Surely the eyes shall wait for me and the sheep of Tarshish first to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them, unto the name of the Lord their God, and to the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified thee. Are you getting that? So, that verse 8 that is describing, when he says, Who are these? He's actually talking about the sons of God. Are the children of Israel that are returning from captivity. Did you see that? Very good. So that's what I want you to pick from that. So when he says, who are these that fly as a cloud and as a dove to their windows? It's like saying, who are these people returning? My sons and my daughters and the nations. And when he says, verse 9, the sheep of Tarshish are waiting. He's talking about how to bring them back home to their own land. So they are the people. So we're talking about the sons of God. Now if we know that Zion speaks about the church, so what is that supposed to mean to us? We're talking about sons of God arising on the face of the earth, coming back to their dwelling place, which is God himself, that even the nations will end up ministering to them. Is that alright? 
So we find that sons of God are actually being described as what? The clouds. Praise the living God. <laughs> Amen. So when he talks about shining life there, we're talking about the radiance of God's glory. When he says, Arise, shine, for the glory is come. The radiancy of God's glory. For your light is come and the glory of the Lord risen upon thee. Right? I want you to pick that. It's very, very important. So he's really dealing with the sons of God. Praise the Lord. Now this is actually the restoration of God's glory to Zion. And the subsequent exhortation from the realm of depression... The return of her sons and daughters and even gentle nations are described as also cloud. That's what we're going to feel much later. Praise the living God. Is that alright? Amen. So this is restoration of Israel as it were, which prophetically speaks about the church today. Alright. I, I, just, I just hope you were able to see that clearly from that passage from verse 1 to verse 9. So, we're dealing with the movement of the children of Israel or God back to the realm of the Father's glory. And they simply describe as clouds or dust flying back to their nest. Now I want you to look at something in Psalm 90 verse 1. Psalm 90 verse 1. Praise the Lord. What did he say? Lord, that has been what? Our dwelling place in all generation praise the lord you have been our dwelling place so as it was like we left our dwelling place in adam and so we ended up going through praises in life suffering the life because of the cause upon adam and his generation but the bible is talking about through christ a restoration to our dwelling place. God has always been our dwelling place. We have always been in Him. We came out of Him and returned His back to Him. Is that alright? Help me on the ball which is that chapter 12 verse number 7. Very important scripture I would like us to see. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse number 7. Praise the Lord. Now this is talking about when a man drops the flesh. When a man dies, let me put it that way. He said, then the door shall return to the earth as it was. Because man was taken from the dust of the ground. Is that okay? And then the spirit shall do what? Return unto God who gave it. We came from God and we are going back to God. Amen? Do you understand that? And I, I tried to make you see this some time ago. Now, can we get it if you have the Amplified Translation? Matthew chapter 1, 20, 21 again. If you have the Amplified Translation, let's read that. If you have it. Praise the living God. Now, if you take time to check on that, so like we find here, the spirit of man goes back to God who gave it. Anytime a man drops the flesh, anytime a man dies, any man, you know, second to the grave, truth is the spirit is not there. He has to go back to God. There is no waiting period in that which is called cemetery. Mighty chapter 1, if you can get that, 2021, from Amplified Translation, you'll be able to realize, if you read down, that our ultimate objective in life is who? Is God. Praise the Lord. God is the focus. God is our objective. 
Whatever I worship you into today is all because you need to get back to God. So Psalm 90 verse 1 said, O Lord, that have been our dwelling place from all generations. Praise the living God. Alright. So when we're talking about the clouds here, like we just read from Isaiah 60, we're dealing with people. Is that okay? Okay, for instance, let's look at Isaiah 19 verse 1. And then maybe 23 and 4. But look at 19 verse 1. And then Isaiah 23 and 4. If you can get that. Praise the Lord. Let's have that on the board. Isaiah 19 verse 1. It's that the burden of, behold, I mean the burden of Egypt. Behold the Lord rided upon a swift cloud. Watch this. And shall come into Egypt. And the idols of Egypt shall be moved out of his presence. And the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. Now go to chapter 20, 3 and 4. Praise the Lord. 3. And the Lord said, Like as my servant Isaiah had walked naked and barefooted three years for a sign and a wonder upon Egypt and upon Ethiopia. Verse 4. So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians prisoners. And the Egyptians captive, young and old, naked and barefooted, even with their buttocks uncovered, to the shame of Egypt. So, when you go back to verse 1, I mean, chapter 19, verse 1, are you following that? Because the same story, so chapter 19, verse 1 says, the burden of Egypt, in other words, the prophecy against Egypt, the oracle against Egypt, the Lord rided upon a swift cloud. What is this swift cloud? The Assyrian army. That will accomplish what you find in chapter 20, 3 and 4. Can you see it? Are we together? That's what you see in there. So, if you look at this verse 1 here, when it said, The burden of Egypt, behold, the Lord rideth upon a sea cloud and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved, in other words, not protection at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. So you go to chapter 20 and you see the description of what is going to happen when the Assyrian armies come to Egypt. The Bible says they are going to take them as captive out of their lands. Is that okay? But how did God describe the move of Assyrians coming? The cloud. That's why I was trying to make you understand what the Bible talks about. A cloud of Revelation 1 verse 7. They were dealing with a Roman army that was coming to Jerusalem in AD 70. Is that making sense to you? Hallelujah. You read the Bible, but sometimes you, you are not able to put things together. <laughs> so that is the excess of Bible study. So we try to help you put things together. It's not, just, it's not a history book in the sense of it. It's a prophetic book. And then you'll be able to marry scriptures. Right? To be able to know exactly what God is saying. So here we find that this one is dealing with the king of Assyria. That is coming to Jerusalem. I mean to Egypt. And then we'll be able to find in chapter 20, 3 and 4. Precisely what's going to happen to them when it comes. So when he talks about idols here. What he's talking about is the protection is going to be taken away. When the king of Assyria invades the land. Is that okay? Are you with me? Glory. Okay. So. What am I saying? It is that these clouds are nothing but what? A people. Where they are anointing, if you will, 
Ah, and so that's what the Lord is going to use in coming and bringing forth and destroying. Next week, I'm going to talk to you a little bit on that. What happens when this cloud of glory begins to move? But don't forget in Romans 8 19, the Bible said the creation is waiting for what? The manifestation of the sons of God. And that is to say, we're looking at this situation, believing and trusting and hoping. Because that's the ultimate goal of God in raising sons on the face of the earth. That through the sons of His, there's going to be movement upon the face of the earth. Is that alright? Praise the Lord. Okay, so, we, we already said this in uh, Hebrews 12 verse 2. It talks about the cloud of witnesses. How many of you remember that? Okay, now, cloud of witnesses has to do with the people. Now, if you look at it from the Living Bible, I don't know if you have it. Uh, living... Living Bible, the Living Translation or Living Bible. Uh, this is what you're going to see there. It says, Since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstand, a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstand. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2 from the Living Bible. Is that okay? Now the King James said, we are compassed about with so great of what? Witnesses. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Hallelujah. Is that what we have there? Okay. Or verse 1. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 1. You can look at Hebrews 12, verse 1. From that translation you, you put in on the board, go to verse 1 and read that. Sorry. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd, this one is living Bible, New Living Bible. But if you look at Living Bible itself, what you have instead of crowd of witnesses, what you're going to have is what huge crowd or huge crowd of men instead of the word witnesses. That's what I'm trying to say. Is that okay? Uh, the other one I'm just talking about cloud of witnesses, and so. But even with this one, you can have it. Uh, New Living Translation, what do you find there? It's a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Praise the living God. But instead of crowd or cloud, that's the, the point I want you to note. The King James said cloud. Is that okay? This one is saying what? Crowd. So fine. So cloud equals people. That's what I'm trying to point out. It's a crowd of people. That's what clouds stands for. It's not dealing with anything up in the sky. You know, your atmospheric cloud is not dealing with that. Now let me show you one scripture again that will help you to understand what I'm dealing with. Proverbs chapter 25. Let's look at verse 14. Proverbs 25 verse 14. Let's look at that. King James. And um, this is what it says. Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like what? Clouds and wind without rain. Very simple. Did you see it? Yeah. Whoso boasted himself of a false gift. So you can go back, think about people like Balaam, think about people like Horeb, think about people like, you know, Cain. Is that okay? 
And that's why I told you in Exodus 11 verse 3, the Bible made this very clear to us. When the clouds is full of rain, he emptied himself upon the earth. These are supposed to be people. It's not dealing with this atmospheric thing. So here the scripture is saying, Whosoever boasted himself a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. No light in them, no that which is called anointing in their life. They just boasting and making noise. These are clouds without rain. Means they are cloud without the anointing, they are cloud without the spirit. Hallelujah. Because they're working on the realm of falsity, deception. So you can you can rightly describe that which is called false prophet, whatever thing that, that will mean to you, as cloud without rain. Because they boasting themselves of the gift that they don't really have. Praise the Lord. Okay. So let's move down to Jude, chapter 1, verse 4. We touched it last week a little bit, uh, but I want to show you something here tonight. Jude, chapter 1, is one chapter, verse 14. Verse 14 is what I'm reading. And that's what it says in verse 14. And Enoch also, help me Lord, the seven from Adam prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh within thousands of his saints. Is that okay? Are we here? Ten thousand of his saints. Now, he never said this until he first described a set of people. So, we, we, we just need to go back to verse 11 and read now. But keep this in mind. Verse 11. Let's look at verse 11. Jude 11. Good. Who unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greatly after the error of Balaam, for reward and perish in the gainsaying of Corey. Right? Cain killed his brother. Balaam was prophesying for wages. Corey was resisting the authority of Moses. You are not the only prophet. You are not the only one God will talk to. God said, You come to the tent, we're not coming. We also can hear God. Is that okay? Yeah, so he led a company of people and God have to open the ground and swallow them with their children and everybody. Right, okay. That's just about that. But not this category of people and the spirit with which they, they walk, even in the church. So, the next thing, verse 12. And he said, These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds, what? They are without water, carried about the wings, trees with fruit, withered without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by what? The roots. Verse 13. And it's a raging waves of the sea, forming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now jump to verse 14 and see that. In a castle. The servant from Adam prophesied of the same. Behold, the Lord come here with what? Ten thousand of what? His saints. I get the connection. Those without water, those clouds, and the people like Balaam, Corey, Cain, they are referred to as what? Clouds without water. As soon as he finished that, he came to something else. So there are two categories of people here. You following that? Praise the living God. This not people, he called them 10,000 of what? Of saints. So they are a cloud of people as well. They are the first cloud, 
This is the second cloud. But this time, instead of using the word cloud, he used the word 10,000 of saints. Is that making sense? Okay. Now, I want to show you something, because this is very, very important. Praise the Lord. Hmm. So we find that those are without the spirit, are class without water. But now it's coming with 10,000 of saints. But let's make a comparison. Which is very important. Can we go to Deuteronomy chapter 33? Deuteronomy 33. And verse number 2. Okay, we'll read 2 and 3. Deuteronomy 33, 2 and 3. Watch this. And the Bible says, and he said, The Lord cometh from Sinai, and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Peran. And he came with what? Ten thousand of what? Saints. From his right hand went a fiery love for them. I want you to get this. Praise the Lord. Verse 3 says, Yea, he loved the people. All his saints are in thy hand, and they sat down at their feet. Everyone shall receive of their words. This is when he gave the law. So Israel, as a community, which is, you must understand what the law was given, that is when the Old Testament was inaugurated. Is that okay? That is when the marriage between Israel and God took place. That is when Israel became a bride unto God. You follow what I'm saying here? Very good. So, in that context, it's saying when they came into him, it was 10,000 of saints. The word is simply 10,000, but we know that it were more than 10,000. Million plus or thereabouts. Is that okay? Are we here? Praise the living God. Okay. So, what are we seeing here? The move of God is described in his people, in a community of people, as what? 10,000. Praise the living God. I want you to pick it because it's very important. So again, we come to the New Testament, which is Jude now. What do you find there? 10,000. So what he's trying to say is, just like God had a people in the Old Testament, God is going to have a people in the New Testament. Did you get that? Praise the living God. Now, when you read that Jude, verse 14, and he said, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of saints. The word with is E-N. And it's a primary preposition denoting a fixed position in place, time, or state. And by implication, instrumentality. Amen? That is a relation of rest. What is that supposed to mean to us? It simply means God intends to have his rest in this church. For Zion's sake, what did the Bible say? I will not rest. How many of you have done that? Why? Until the glory in Zion spring forth. And what's Zion here? The church of the living God. Which has to do with the saints. So there is a walk going on within the body of Christ. Until the full glory of God is revealed. And that is why we talk about creation waiting for what? The manifestation of the sons of God. Okay, let me show you something here. 
Psalm 132 and verse 13. Psalm 132 verse 13. Praise the Lord. And this is what it says. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. How many of you remember we've come to Zion? Hebrews 12, 22. Is that okay? He hath desired it for his habitation. That is where he wants to rest. In the church. Revelation 21. The tabernacle of God is with men. Can you see that? Very good. Now look at the next thing, verse 14. What does it say? This is what? My rest forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Praise the living God. <laughs> what do you think God desired? God desired the church, and that is where he wants to dwell. That's where he wants to reveal himself. I am going to dwell in Zion forever. And he said, this is my rest. Oh my, something has been described. When will God truly rest? You know, we say, okay, God rested on the seventh day of creation week. But get it right. When he said God rested on the Sabbath day, which is the seventh day, if you check that to find according to Genesis chapter 2, there is no morning and evening. So it's not the natural day, like we count days. Are you there with me? Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. You always say in the evening and the morning was the fourth day. The evening and the morning was the second day. The only morning, third day. In the evening, all to the fifth day. In the evening and the morning, but but when it came to the Sabbath day, no evening, no morning. So it's an eternal day. And what is he saying here? This is my rest. What is that supposed to mean? When Zion comes to the proof of God maturity, God will finally have rest. Did you see that? Praise the Lord. So, men were actually, you know, doing that which is called worship. And, uh, I mean, it's fine. God is not actually dealing with your normal calendar. So, when you begin to say, uh, the, 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 the Sabbath day is Saturday. No, man. It has no evening, you have no money. It's an eternal day. Is that alright? And so God said, this is my rest forever. Here will I dwell for I have desired it. It's my intention to raise the church. With Christ as the head. With the full glory of God. To be manifested on the face of the earth. And like I said last week or so. If God spoke through one son. He's going to be speaking through a corporate body. Did you get that? So the church is going to become the mouthpiece of God on the face of the earth. Praise the Lord. Let's move on a little bit. Are you following me so far? You getting it? Very good. Okay. Now, the Hebrew word, when it says 10,000 of saints in Deuteronomy 33, is also very important to us. 10,000 of saints actually means Robaba. Robaba. Now, that word means abundance in number. Specifically, a myriad. Myriad. M Y R I A D. Myriad. Is that alright? Praise the Lord. That's, that's the Hebrew word for Robaba. Okay. And it means abundance 
means abundance in number. That is a myriad, whether infinite or definite. It means many, it means million, it means 10,000. So, 10,000 is not arithmetical calculation in terms of counting 1, 2, 3, 4. Until you get to 1,000 and then 2,000, 3,000, 9,000, 10,000. No! It's only describing myriad of people. Large number of people. That's the language of God. That is why people get confused when they read about a thousand year reign of God. And they think it's arithmetical calculation. No. God is only dealing with thousands. As a matter of fact, it's God's number. Praise God. Are you following me? So that's what the word, when he says he came with 10,000 of saints, it simply means he came with a large number of people. That's what he said. Millions of people. Praise God. Now, this is very, very significant. When he talked about God coming with 10,000 of people, Rababa, which has to speak about the myriad of people is very, very important that we get that right. Um, unfortunately, we can't, from the projector, I don't know what's going on, but we can't get the Amplified Translation. But I wanted to read the Amplified Translation for you in Hebrews, I mean Jude chapter 14. So that we see how this is put together in Jude 14. Praise the Lord. Because like I said, that what you find eh? Jude 14 when he talks about Enoch prophesying and behold he come with 10,000 of his saints. In the, in the Amplified Translation, this way it is written. It was of these people moreover that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied when he said, behold the Lord comes with his myriad of holy ones. The word 10,000 you see in Jude actually means what? Myriads of holy ones. 10,000 of his saints. That's what it stands for. That's the way it is in the Amplified Translation. Is that okay? Good. So 10,000 means large number of people. And don't forget the connection. He has dealt with the clouds without water. Now he's dealing with cloud with water. And they are not going to be few. They are going to be much. Large number of people. Praise the Lord. Now, but it's another translation that I found which is very, very important. Much more than the King James. Much even more than, if I may use the word, this is the interlinear translation of that which is called the emphatic diaglot. It's one of the Bible translations. It's called the emphatic diaglot. Now, this Greek text in this place, this is what you read. Lo, comes Lord in holy myriad of himself. And I like this more. He comes in the holy myriad of himself. Now, if you take time to read the Bible, I'm going to explain something here. Very powerful. If you take time to read the Bible, the Lord comes in or comes with. Comes in the cloud or with the cloud. How many of you understand that? Take time. Check it out. 
He doesn't just come. He comes with, he comes in, he comes sitting in the clouds. <laughs> so, if for instance you're coming with something, uh, like we're reading, um, I think might you, might you, uh, might you, and also I think chapter 23 or there about, of, of the book of Matthew, Matthew 23, you find a lot. When he was speaking to Pilate or whatever, or the, the priest, he told them, Thereafter you shall see the Son of Man coming and sitting in the cloud of heaven. How many of you understand that? Now the point is, that how can you come and be sitting at the same time? Hmm? If you are coming, you should be moving. You can't be sitting and coming at the same time. So if you are sitting and coming, that means where you are sitting is your career. For instance, if I have to come in a plane, I'm sitting in the plane, but the plane brings me to my destination. Are you there with me? Very good. So if he said, he's sitting and coming in the clouds of heaven, what's that supposed to mean? The cloud of heaven becomes what? His carrier. That's why he's sitting and coming at the same time. Is it making sense? Praise the Lord. So, the emphatic dark Lord, like I said, said, Look, comes the Lord in holy myriad of himself. The myriad now speaking about 10,000 of his saints. Are you there with me? So what is that supposed to mean? Myriad of himself, what is that supposed to mean? I want you to think a little bit. Who are these myriad of his saints? These are all such people. That are begotten out of his life, out of his own life. Amen. All of them partakers of his divine nature, conform to his image, filled with his mind, matured in his life to reveal him because they are one with him. I come in the myriad of myself, means I'm coming with the people who have matured to the place of putting on what that which is called. The full measure, the stature of Jesus Christ. This company of people, so the Bible refers to, are 10,000 of his saints. These 10,000 of his saints are men who have the same quality, the same characteristics, the same attribute, the same capacity. Men, get it right. Scripture says, Every servant must be as his master. Matthew chapter 10. Every servant must be as his master. Are you with me? I want you to pick that because it's very, very important. So, listen to me. The church that God is raising is not going to be anything less than Christ. Is that alright? It's going to be all of that which is Christ. And so, Jesus will say, If you see me, you'll see the Father. So there comes a time when the church made the same, the same declaration. If you see me, you see Christ. Huh? So because he said, as the Father sent me, so sent I you. Now if you see me, you send the Father. Simply means, a time comes when this thing we're describing finally matures on the face of the earth. You can say, if you see me, you see Christ. Because you're not going to be different from Christ. Because it's coming through you and in you as a vessel. Don't forget, he has desired to dwell in Zion. 
Zion is what? Is his rest. Hallelujah. Myriad of himself. Many all of them begotten of his life. All of them partaking of his divine nature, like I said. They are confirmed to his image. No difference. You've seen them, you've seen Christ. I mean, you're not going to be having the Nosagi feeling. I wish Jesus was alive. No, no, no. I wish Jesus was here. No, it's not going to be so. Because everywhere you're going to find a son of God of the same statue, life and power, flowing and oozing through them. So the idea of, hey, I wish Jesus is alive, is not going to be there. I promise you. Is that all right? Hallelujah. They are becoming one with him. I want you to get this. He comes as the myriad of himself. This simply means those who are born of the one kind, born of his seed. The many brethren company of the sons of God. As the myriad of himself, which with what? He comes. Praise the Lord. He's coming in the myriad of himself. That means he's coming with the clouds of glory. So, sorry to say, don't look up. It's not there. Hmm? It's not there in the empty space. It's in you. And you see, you should, be, you should be believing and trusting and allowing him to grow to the point where he begins to come out of you. He wants to express himself through you. He wants to express himself through the church. This is his desire. This is where he have determined to dwell. So if he's going to speak at all, he speaks from the church. He manifests glory through the church. That is why the church is the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And he'll say, you are the light of the world. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Yes, then the light must shine. If you are shining, you, the light, also the church, must do what? Must shine. The Father, you're not shining now, doesn't mean this is all that God has. There is still more to come. There are ages to come. Beyond what you see now. Beyond even that which is called the church age. There is a greater dimension that is yet to come. And I call that the age of the sons of God. And it's not going to be one man. Not one man in Lagos. No man in Waria. No man in Jebu or anywhere. No, 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 no. It's going to be a corporate thing. Wherever there's going to be a child of God. Because the spirit is going to flow around. Wherever God's children are going to be. The same identical power and life that was in Christ. Is going to be flowing all around. Men will not miss the Jesus of Nazareth. Because he's going to be right in their midst. Praise God. That's what the myriad of himself stands for. So when he says, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. He's trying to say, The Lord is going to manifest himself through the glory. Now you see, when you go back to look the book of Song of Solomon, you're going to see this statement that says, Who is that coming out of the wilderness? Have you read that? Very good. Who do you think he was describing? He was describing the church. He was describing the point at which you see, when the church was advancing, even before they got to Jericho, what was the testimony? It said the heart of the people were melting before they come. Is that okay? Good. That is the church in the wilderness. The, the, the news of this church was melting the heart of men. I'm talking about the church that's going to stand on the face of the earth. And men literally will have their heart melted when the church begins to move. Praise the Lord. This high come in the myriad of himself. We must come to the place where demons literally have to bow. You don't need to beg them to bow. 
Because when demons saw Jesus, they cried out. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? And I'm saying you can have that glory. Because that is His glory. Is that okay? That is His glory. You can have that glory. You don't have to be afraid of demons. Demons have to be afraid of you. Jesus was not afraid of demons. If He is your head and you are His body. No, you can't be afraid of demons. Demons have to be afraid of you. Anytime, anywhere. Because part of the glory. Is that okay? Are you following what I'm talking about? Now, help me Lord. Can you picture the parable? That is a parable. It's a mystery where Elisha has the axe head to float. You remember the story? Good. Axe head floated on water. What is that supposed to mean? We take it as a story. We take it as a miracle. Yes, it was a miracle. But what the, miracles are symbols. Miracles are significant things that point to something else. As far as even the Bible is concerned, I'd like what Jesus was concerned. Every miracle was pointed to something else. Now, what was an axe in the Bible? As basically in the Bible speaks of judgment. And John said that the axe is laid to the root of the trees. How many of you remember that? Very good. Now, if axe is in water, what is that supposed to mean? Judgment was upon the water, which has to do with the word. Now, what is the next thing? Elisha took away the axe. What is left is what? Water. Pure word. No judgment. You follow what I'm saying? We need to take time to read this book and get some understanding to our mind. So, that's the first thing you need to understand. Next week I'm going to show you when God begins to raise these people, when God begins to shoot them out from behind the scene. It's just like, you see, the case of John the Baptist, the Bible says, he was in the wilderness until he showing forth unto Israel. There's a time of showing forth. And that is why we can still be patient and hope for that particular time. We've got to wait for it. We've got to hope for it. We've got to believe for it. There is a time of showing forth. Jesus did not start ministry until he was 30. John did not start ministry until he was 30. When the time of showing forth was comfort. There's a period, there's a time, there's a season. God has put in place. Let's read this final scripture and then we are done for tonight. Ephesians 2. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. The Bible says, I raised us up together. I made us sit together in heavenly places. Christ Jesus. You know what it means to sit together? Or to sit in the first place? It's to be in a place of authority. Is that okay? That's what it means to sit. Praise the Lord. You know, you go to the court for instance and then everybody, even if you are sitting down and then the, the clerk or whoever announces that the chief judge or the judge is coming into the, into the courtroom, what happens? Everybody stands up. And then the man sits. What is that supposed to mean? It's taking the place of authority. It's a place of power. To sit is to be in a place of power. So when the judge sits there, that's where he can be able to make pronouncement, give judgment concerning whatever it is. Is that okay? That's what it means. So if we are sitting together with Christ in heavenly places, what he's trying to say is we have authority in the heavenly realms. He rules from the heavens, and we also rule from the heavens. We live though on the earth, but we are heavily being. Is that okay? Do you agree or believe the fact that you are citizens of heaven? Hallelujah. 
So if you are seated in of heaven, that means you are supposed to exercise heavenly authority because that's where you belong. Praise God. So look at the next slides. Verse 7. Ephesians 2, 7, the Bible says, That in what? The ages to come. Not one age. In the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. For by grace He are what? Saved. In His kindness towards or through what? Christ Jesus. You know what He's trying to say here? We are going to reveal the grace of God by which we are saved to the rest of creation. Now, I'm going to be very emphatic on this, maybe next week. The next phase that God has for creation, the sons of God that God is raising, they are not people that are full of judgmental spirit. They are not people that will send men to hell. Because they can only reveal what they have. They are saved by grace. So they take grace to people and get them saved by grace. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? That's the next phase in God. Not men. That, men who don't have understanding of the fact that they are saved by grace, they will not be able to minister in the new season that we are. Hmm? What is this man? Is it John Wesley or John Fox? What is that? The man that preached... Um, Jonathan Edwards. Is it Jonathan Edwards? Very, very good. What was that message of the priest? Sinner in the, in the hands of a, an angry God or whatever. Such messages will not come here. They can fit in. If that is the concept of the message you have, you can fit into the new season that God has in mind for creation. For by grace ye are saved, not of work, lest any man should do what? Should boast. Now, you can only give what you have. So if you're full of grace of God, <laughs> you remember John chapter 1? Law, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth. How many of you understand that? Praise the Lord. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The sons of God that God is raising in the ages to come are men that shall be full of grace and truth. You getting that? But they are not going to be one man. They are going to be myriads. Thousand numberless people, not one, two, three to one thousand or two thousand or ten thousand. No, 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 no. When he coming, the ten thousand of his saints is coming of the myriad of himself. Men will have the same stature, the same capacity, the same grace level in their lives. Men will walk with the same that which is called anointing, the same level, no difference. These are the people God is coming with, and they are referred to as what clouds. So behold, the Lord coming with clouds and every eye shall see him. God bless you. Thank you.